Uh, I'm excited today because I, I get nostalgic sometimes, especially when there's things going on in life. And I was, I was being all nostalgic this week, and I was thinking back to like, what are those memories that you remember most as you track back to like as far as you can remember in life? And I tell you, like, there was three things that came to mind. There was Wheaties, there was meatloaf, and there was vacation Bible school. Uh, before you're like, I don't know if I can follow that rhythm, Pastor. That's okay. There's, there's the category of things that you really enjoyed. Like, I don't know that I ever really enjoyed eating Wheaties, but if you remember Wheaties, if you grew up in the 90s, like, it was the face on the box of all the best athletes in the world. And just like my lucky socks, if you were here last week, I was convinced, and MJ helped, that you better eat your Wheaties, and if you did, you could be an athlete just like him or all these other great athletes. So I was always trying to eat my Wheaties. It was a highlight of my life. It didn't work out like I thought it would, but I was always trying. Then the other extreme was meatloaf. My mom is an incredible cook, except for when it comes to meatloaf. Her meatloaf, mama love you, was terrible. Like she knows it, it's not new information. Meatloaf, I felt like she would take two scoops of hamburger meat and then every other food that I don't like and put it in this thing and call it a meatloaf. And I think, honestly, I think what she would do is when she was frustrated with me, she would prepare meatloaf. So we'd have meatloaf two, three, eight, 12, 10 times a week. Like it was just, it was too much. Like I just, I didn't like my mom's meatloaf. And then VBS, Vacation Bible School. So I grew up going to church. We went to church Sunday morning. We went to church Sunday night. We went to church Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday night. We went to like Wednesday night devotion, Thursday morning prayer. Like we just went to church every breathing moment. I think really what it was was free daycare. Like my mom could just drop me off and she'd be like, I don't have to worry about you and I'll make you meatloaf when we get home. It was a weird combination. And, and all of the, the times like I, I tried to figure out like what was it about vacation Bible school? It was only one week out of the year. Why did that stick in my mind? Like I, I thought about this so much, this sounds terrible, but I actually like dug into that a little bit a few years ago. And what I learned, what I, what I came up with is I'm a huge fan of the superhero concept. Like, I like superhero movies. I like watching superheroes step up or step in and rise to the occasion and take care of a situation. And while Sunday mornings were great, Sunday nights were great, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, all good, all foundational stories of the scripture, for a week during the summer at VBS, at Vacation Bible School, like, our church would focus, (coughs) excuse me, would focus on, like, a superhero of the Bible. Like, one of those stories, one of those characters, like, this small little shepherd boy, a farm boy, just like me, who, who went out to visit his brothers in the army and God used him to slay a massive giant warrior and then become king, superhero. Or, or, or Samson, who, who had strength of many men. Samson goes into the battlefield and, and wipes out a thousand men in an army all by himself. Or, or Moses, who was raised, or who was born into slavery, and then through some incredible feats was kind of raised somewhat like an orphan, only to return to where he was once a slave and lead all of his people into freedom and to a great sea where he parted the waters and walked across on dry land. And then after he got through, he let the waters come back and wiped out the entire Egyptian army. If you were here a few weeks ago, people like Nehemiah, an ordinary guy with a really lame job. I mean, the only way you were really good at your job is if you died. That's a weird job if you know the story of a wine taster. But Nehemiah left his position, came back to his homeland, and rallied the entire city to rebuild its defense systems. I'm doing a great work, and I won't come down. And for me, those stories weren't just like memorable stories. Those were inspiration for me. Like, oftentimes I remember as a young guy reading through scriptures or listening to the teacher tell me, This is what God did through an ordinary person and thinking, I wonder if I'm an ordinary person like that. I wonder if God could do something like that. I wonder if God could give me the athleticism to be able to take a sling and with one shot with the speed, accuracy, and and the strength behind it to take down a giant. I wonder if God could give me an ordinary guy the strength to be able to be a mighty warrior. 
I wonder if God could give me the strength that I could speak and through raising of my arms or my hands, the, the waters or the sea in front of me would part. I wonder if God could give me the strength and the ability and leadership to rally people around an incredible cause. And then, and then one day, I learned. Yep, he can. And not only can he, but he, he wants to. Kind of our theme passage for this series so far. Jesus tells us, he's telling his disciples, which translates to us, he says, it's better for you that I go, because if I go, then I will send another who is just like me, an advocate, a helper, a guide, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's better that I leave you that that way I can send you the Holy Spirit. And then if we pick up in the book of, uh, the book of Acts, so, so Luke was one of the gospel writers. Luke also writes the book of Acts. And Luke tells us what Jesus was telling another time he was talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one and verse eight. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it's better that, you, it's better that I go because you'll get the advocate, you'll get the guide, you'll get the comforter. But then he adds another layer. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now for me, and I don't think I'm alone in this, for me, this was both like exciting and terrifying. It was like, wow, the potential of having this kind of power. And also that's a lot of responsibility. Like, like there's this intentional, like or this, this, this battle, this tension that goes on in my mind, like intimidation, but also, wow, think of the wrongs that I could write in my life. Now, there's a lot of pressure. If I get this wrong, if I don't handle it well, if, you know, I, I don't live up to the responsibility, but, but my inner superhero is like, I got the patent. No, no one was born in the 90s. Okay, perfect. Like, what if I could be a superhero? Like, what if God gave me this power to right all the wrongs in my life? And what if God gave me this power that I can improve my life in so many areas? And what if God gave me this power? And remember fifth grade, Luke, before you got that growth spurt and that one dude used to pick on you and I could go back and I had the power, you know what I'm saying? What about that girl that broke my heart junior year? I could go back with the power and I could right some wrongs in my life. What about that boss who mistreated you? And then you could go back and you could right the wrongs in my life. And I was convinced that the Holy Spirit was gonna give me power to be a biblical superhero. That's how I packaged it in my mind. That, that I could make these improvements, that I could right some wrongs, that I could change some things, that I could eliminate suffering in my life and for the people around me, that I could make my life easier because how great would that power be? But, but can I just offer this? And I think this is where so many people misunderstand the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. The primary intent was not that we could ask the question, what can the Holy Spirit do for me? What could the Holy Spirit do for me? Because that's how most of us approach the Holy Spirit. What can, if I was to give God a to-do list, if I was to pull up to the, to the spiritual drive-up window and put in my request, like many of us do when we pray, God, here's my list of demands for today. Here's my expectations for you today. Here's the things that I want from you. What can the Holy Spirit do for me? Now, now don't get me wrong. We've talked about this. This is why this is the third in the series. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. The Holy Spirit does lots of things for us. He came to convict us, right? If you remember week one, he came to convict us that we need a savior. The, the most people believe if I'm just a good person, if I do more good than bad, then I'll qualify for the presence of the Lord and eternity in heaven. But the Holy Spirit comes to convict us. Well, listen, you're never gonna be perfect. And the requirement, the expectation, the guidelines for you to receive the presence of the Lord, to be in his presence in heaven is perfection. We can't do that, but don't be disappointed because God made a way. He loved you so much that he sent his perfect son to die for you, that there would be a way. He came to convict us that I need a savior. He came to convict us that once we've received Jesus, that we are in right standing with God. 
And once we are in right standing with God through Jesus, through faith in him, the enemy we know has now been defeated. He no longer has power or authority over me because I've been convicted that I need a savior. And because I'm in right standing with God, the enemy can do nothing unless I give him permission to do so. He still convicts us. There's still things the Holy Spirit does for us. He convicts us of righteous living when we get out of balance or we head in the wrong direction outside of the will that God has for us. He'll nudge us back or guide us back into living in the, the, the will that God's got for us. He still brings us power over temptation, power over you. He still does things for us, but equally and if not more important than what the Holy Spirit can do for me is what the Holy Spirit wants to do through me. So the real question then becomes, what can the Holy Spirit do through I don't think we ask that question very often. Jesus says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power. Why do we receive power from the Holy Spirit? Because the only way that we can accomplish what God has put us on this planet to do is through his power. Maybe you've been there before. I've been there before lots of times. Under my best efforts, I don't accomplish much. I might feel like I did because I feel exhausted. I feel like I put a lot of effort in. I put a lot of preparation in. But the fruit of my own efforts are always very little, if not nothing at all. Maybe you've been there before. You feel like you work really, really, really hard to try to do a good thing. And then you look back and there wasn't any results. It's because we try to work in our own power instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but don't think this is something that lessens your value. Jesus was even dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells us, he shows us everything that he did, everything that he accomplished was not just under his own strength and will. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we go back through the life of Jesus, starting with his conception, Matthew chapter one and verse 18, this is how, the, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. You remember the story from Christmas. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant, how? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter three and Luke chapter four, Luke tells us about Jesus preparing to go out into his ministry, his preaching ministry. In verse 14, he says this, that then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power and reports about him spread quickly throughout the region. Continuing a couple verses later, he says, the spirit of the Lord, which in the Greek was the word pneuma, which emphasizes the power of the spirit of the Lord. So in the power of the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Romans chapter one and verse two, Paul writes, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures that we read about in the Old Testament. The good news is that his son, in his earthly life, he was born to King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings power that changes everything. The Holy Spirit, if you've missed the first couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit is the, the third person in the Trinity that is our God. One God in three components, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit is less in value, but that he was just the third to be revealed to us. And it's through his power that we read all of the stories in the scriptures. The Immaculate Conception, preaching with authority, healings, wonders, miracles, resurrection of the dead, all made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what's crazy. Jesus says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He wasn't saying you'll receive, you'll receive a scaled back power. 
You'll receive a diluted power. You'll receive as much as you can tolerate or you can take. He says, no, the same power that triumphs over evil and the same power that the part of the seas, the same power that defeated giants, the same power that preached the gospel with authority all over the world, the same power that healed the sick, the same power that awakens dry bones, the same power that defeated death, hell, and the grave, the same power that raised Jesus back to life lives in you and me as followers of Christ. And as Christians, sometimes we take the comforter. We, we take the power that comes with the Holy Spirit and we, we put him on the quilt rack. I don't know what to do. I'm nervous. What if I mess it up? Not just that the Holy Spirit can do in us, but what he wants to do through us. In this whole series, part of our intent is to bring clarity and understanding to why and how. But why was it such a big deal for Jesus to say, it's better that I go that I can send another who was just like me, the Holy Spirit, to you. And how does he operate? We've said this several times. So the enemy has no game plan against the power of the Holy Spirit other than to create confusion. So week one, he creates confusion on who the Holy Spirit is. And we think of the Holy Spirit as, as an it or a thing or an object or a wind or a force. He's a person. He's the third person in the Trinity. He creates confusion on his responsibility. He came to comfort us, to guide us, to provide comfort in times we need most. And he came to give us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, again, just like last week, this is not an exhaustive list of the things that can happen or the power that's produced through the Holy Spirit. But as I was chewing on this this week, if we could just pick up a couple of these truths, church body, if we could just understand the why and the how that the Holy Spirit provides power. If this community if some of the believers in this community could just understand the why and the how that the Holy Spirit came to provide power, think of the difference that we could make in our neighborhoods, in our houses, in our families, in our workplaces. Think of what God could do through us, not just in us, if we really tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, there's just a couple thoughts I wanna go over today. The first one, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we find strength in our weakness. Now, I'll be honest, Luke by himself, that's me. Luke by himself, I, I'm just an ordinary guy with some pretty decent dad jokes. Okay, two fans, perfect. Um, there's not a lot to me. There's not a lot that I provide. I, I've told you before, I would much rather be sitting over on the sides or behind the scenes serving. I don't ever wanna be on stage. And if it was up to me, I would not be here. But I told you this last week, but the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. He, he makes me a whole lot better than me. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Everything in me wants to be behind the scenes, out of the stage, out of the spotlight and off the stage. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, nearly every day, I do things that would make my stomach turn. But the Holy Spirit provides power for me to do that. Romans chapter eight and verse 26, Paul simplifies it. He says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I'll be the first to admit, I think Paul was being kind of humble right here. Because I don't think the Holy Spirit just gives power and strength in our weakness. I think oftentimes the Holy Spirit helps us to thrive in our weakness. Well, you see, pastor, I'm just not a very patient person. Well, great news because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and all of his power is available to you and he specializes in providing patience. Well, well pastor, I'm just not a very encouraging person by, by nature. I just don't like to really you know, encourage other people. Well, good news because if you ask the Holy Spirit through his power, he will always provide you words to encourage others. Well, pastor, I just don't have a lot of joy in my life. Well, great news for you because once you've experienced the joy and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, joy comes in abundance. 
well, you know, I've been working really hard to try to do better in this area of my life. I've been really working really hard and to try to, 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 to be able to avoid getting into this or doing that. You know, I just, what happens is I just seem to lose self-control around that or I lose self-control around them. Well, listen, you have everything that you need. We just haven't tapped into the power. Because the Holy Spirit promises one of his fruits is self-control. He gives us all the power to do it. It's just that so many of us don't know how to access the power that already lives in us. Jesus never once in all of his teachings even hinted at, if you follow me, your life will be easier. But what he said was, even in the difficult times, I'll give you the power to live a life of an overcomer. Paul talked about it one time real specifically. Paul kind of lets us in behind the curtain of his life and he tells us specifically, he doesn't give us the details, but he references that this, this, this thorn in his flesh that he bared, that he, that he carried, some sort of, some scholars believe maybe like a, a sickness, like malaria or something. Maybe it was a physical issue. Maybe it was a, an injury that he obtained somewhere in life. Maybe it was some trolls that kept showing up on his Twitter feed and just talking trash about him when he was trying to start a new church. Whatever it is, we don't know, but we know specifically Paul says that I've received this thorn in my flesh and because of this, I have talked to the Lord about removing it. So he gives us this great insight. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, talking about the thorn in his flesh. He says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. You ever prayed a prayer and you didn't think it got answered? Paul's being real transparent. He says, three times I prayed and asked God to take this suffering away. And his response is, my grace is all you need. And for me, too many times, I would have stopped right there and been like, well, then I'm done. But Paul was not. He continues. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecution, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. Listen, I, I, I just want to be transparent today. I think we see this problem way too often, especially in our particular part of the world. We, we see a whole lot of Christians that have a, a lot of Bible knowledge. And if they don't have a lot of Bible knowledge, they have a lot of Bible access. But we can, we can pull up scripture. We can look for scripture. We can look in the index. We can pull up our devices in a few clicks of a finger. We can search for anything and any answer we're looking for to be based in the scripture. We have all these search engines and abilities to know and to look. Uh, the Trinity House did a survey a couple years ago and said that the average American household has 4.4 Bibles, printed Bibles in their house. Not the average Christian household, the average American household, which means some of us have to be overachievers. We have access to the scriptures Hear my heart here. I'm not trying to put these in polar opposites. We can have the Holy Spirit or we can have scripture. I'm not doing that at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But some of us, because we have so much information and we have so much knowledge that we lean on our own understanding to live out our faith. And we can know a whole lot about what the Bible says and we can look up a whole lot about what the Bible says and think, well, if I just understand more, then I can live more of what Jesus called me to live. Can I just offer this? That it doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible if you're not tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. God didn't give us the scripture just as a history book or just as a book of Psalms and songs or just as a book of life hacks. He gave it to us that we would be transformed by the truth that it holds through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's both. We said last week, one of the primary responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of what Jesus has already said. And so often we take what Jesus has already said 
and we lay the Holy Spirit to the side and then we twist it to fit the agenda we want. And so many people take scriptures and they take clips and they take these things and they, they build a lifestyle around what they think they interpreted in the scripture because they were leaning on their own understanding instead of tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God didn't give us the Bible that we can conform it to fit our lives. He gave us the Bible that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives are conformed to him. And so many times we miss it. Luke chapter four. We talked about it already. It's the time where the Holy Spirit was preparing Jesus for his preaching ministry. But right before that, if you back up to the beginning of chapter four, Luke chapter four and verse one says, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, knowing what would happen. And while he was in the wilderness for 40 days, the devil came and tempted him. Do you know how the devil came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? By taking some scripture and twisting it to make it sound like it would work out better for Jesus if he followed him. Listen, taking scripture and twisting it to fit my agenda is not a new thing. The devil's been doing it for a minute. So how then did Jesus overcome the temptation? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power to overcome temptation. You have the power to live free of that addiction. You have the power to live unoppressed by the things around you. Not by our works, not by our knowledge, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power to do the thing that God has called you and prompted you to do. And I've heard way too many Christians say things like, I'm just not qualified for that. I'm not experienced enough for that. I'm just not confident I can can do that well. And what's Paul teach us? But when we're weak, then I'll be made strong. God has given you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. And when he prompts you into a direction to move, he's already prepared you to get started. It doesn't mean you've already arrived. One of the things that gets me so frustrated is when God prompts people to move and they move and they start and they just maintain that trajectory. If God's given you a skill or a gift or a craft, it's not that you can just plateau, but he wants to grow it and develop it and you don't give up on it. But at the same time, so many people, we feel a prompt and we're uncertain. We feel a prompt and we're not confident. We feel a prompt, I need some more experience first. Can I just offer, and I'll simplify this. If he prompted you, he's prepared you. And if he's prompted you, he's prepared you, stop wasting time and get started. Number two, we're filled with confident hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are filled with confident hope. I spent some time reflecting this week. I've I've attended more funerals in the last five weeks than I think I did in all of 2023. And I, I pondered a couple things at two of the funerals I was at this week. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people live in this life without the hope that we have that better is still to come. I don't know how people process death and loss without knowing we'll be reunited one day because of our faith in Christ. I don't know how people can process through the grief and the the, the disappointment and the, the circumstances that didn't live up or the bad news about your health. I don't know how people can do it without faith and hope in Jesus, that one day there will be no more suffering and no more pain. This was not been my, my home forever. This is a stop on the journey to heaven and that greater things lie ahead. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how our young people go to school every day in a world that wants them to walk away from Christ in a hopeless generation. I don't know how they go to school without Jesus and the hope that he provides. I don't know how people make it through the grind of a work week without the hope that Jesus offers. And when you think about it, it makes sense. It makes sense why people search to erase or evaporate or numb the pain and the suffering, the anxiety, the worry, the uncertainty of life. It makes sense why they look for it in other places because without that hope, life can be overwhelming. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit that we can be filled with, that we can live with, 
that we can get up every day and walk through every moment of our day with this great hope. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will, complete, will fill you completely with his joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, then, then is important. Because you trust in him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Christians connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, hope ought to be overflowing from us in nearly every moment of every day. I often say people should be noticed when they're a Christian, not to bring attention to themselves, but when you walk by as a follower of Christ, people ought to take notice. Why is that person always so hopeful? Did you hear the news they just got? Why they, why they act like that's not a big deal? Weren't you applying for that promotion? You didn't get it. Why you act like everything's gonna be okay? Didn't you, didn't you have your kid in all those special lessons and, and individual coaching sessions and they didn't even make the team? Why are you just all right with that? Because my hope is not in my health or my finances or my circumstances or my kid's athletic ability. My hope is founded in Jesus. When my hope is founded in people and places and things, it's a very limited hope. And if you've lived long enough, you know that if you put your hope in one of those things, at some point, it will fail you. If you put your hope in me, I promise you, at some point, unintentionally, I will fail you. If you put your hope in a, in a relationship, if I could just find Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright, if I could just find that perfect relationship, then my life will be fulfilled. No, it won't. They will fail you. They won't live up to your expectations. If I could just get this approach, if I could just get this desired outcome, if I could just get this success that I've been chasing, then I could be the superhero in my own story. But you know, it never works out. When our hope is something limited, it's never gonna work out. When our hope is in our limitless God, it changes everything because it's a hope unlike anything. Later today, and not very long at all, I'm gonna get on a van and I'm gonna drive to an airport. I'm gonna fly across the river, across the ocean, to the continent of Africa, and I love it. And every time I get to go on a mission trip to a place like this, I, I'm, I'm always overwhelmed by the receptivity of hope. You go into a place where there's not a lot to put our hope in, and people are very receptive to the hope that comes with Jesus. And I love sharing that hope with people who are hungry for it. But in our particular part of the world, we are taught from a very young age, you can do anything you put your mind to. With a little bit of hard work, you can succeed at anything. You can accomplish whatever you want. What are we really teaching our young people? Put your hope in you. Put your hope in how you succeed. Put your hope in how much hard work you can do. And I'm not saying stop working hard, stop giving it your best. What I'm saying is if that's where we put our hope, we'll never see the need for a savior. And you see so many people who are content. You know what? I'm probably not perfect, but I'm better than most. I work harder than most. I've done more good than bad, at least in my opinion. So I think I can just work really hard and I don't really need your savior. And because we've got hope in ourselves until we crash and burn, we, we think that we've got life figured out. And then we wonder why when we put our hope in ourselves and in our situations and in our circumstances, we wonder why we lead the world in, in addiction, in incarceration and in broken relationships. Because when I put my hope in something that's limited, it will always let me down and it'll become hopeless and I'll become desperate and I'll get lost. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't put my hope in my job. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm putting my hope in my health. I don't put it in my plans. I don't put it in my future plans. I don't put it in my other relationships. Those are all limited. So I put my hope in a limitless God and say, I don't care what happened. Yeah, this week was hard, but this is not the end of my story. 
And this didn't work out like I thought it would. And I thought greater things were gonna happen, but I know that if this happened, God still got greater in store for me. So I'm not devastated by this news. I'm not devastated by this assignment. I'm not devastated that things didn't work out like I had hoped because that's not where my hope lands. The power of the Holy Spirit ought to be an overflow over the hope that Jesus provides. I'll argue all day long. I don't know that there's a more contagious force on planet earth than hope. I mean, it's the reason we buy into the superhero dynamic, right? Like we love the superhero. We love that underdog story. We love that person who gets back up off the bottom rope to take a couple more punches because we believe they can do it. They can accomplish it. They can get there. But I have this hope that's even greater than that. One of my hope is firmly planted in Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna let that bother me. It's the power that he provides. Number three. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live with boldness. The Barna Research Group, it's a kind of a Christian organization that does research, a lot of in the church world. Uh, they did a study, a study a few years ago, and they just kind of researched, like, what are people praying about in America? So they surveyed, like, what, what are people praying about? And of the top six things that people in our country pray about, four of those things revolve around safety. Safety in our daily trips, safety in our daily tasks, safety in our personal health, and safety in those big events, you know, like when you fly to Africa. Now, the irony, we live in the nation with the best doctors and the best nurses and the best care providers, the best hospitals, the most elaborate emergency medical treatment systems, the highest requirement for safety features and other requirements. Now, I'm not against safety. In fact, when we get ready to leave, I would invite you. If you'd like to pray for me, I would appreciate your prayers. I'm not against praying for safety, but if God's highest concern was to keep you safe, wouldn't it made more sense that the moment you received Jesus as Savior, he scooped you up from the destruction of this planet and put you in the safety and security of heaven where you can't be harmed or hurt. And if I'm not mistaken, we're still here. Which leads me to believe that safety was not his number one priority. One of my favorite passages in the book of Acts was the story about Peter and John. Peter and John, if you know the story, this is a powerful, powerful story. So Peter and John are Jesus has ascended into heaven. Peter and John, some of the disciples are in Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel. And in preaching the gospel, they come across um, a, a guy who had been unable to walk for at least most, if not all of his life. He, his, his feet, his ankles, they were messed up. And because of that, he couldn't work. And because he couldn't work, he was a beggar, scripture says, asking for money. And, and they cross paths. Peter and John, they, they walk past this guy. And through an interaction, Peter recognizes, like, I should probably give this guy some money, but I'm not equipped or prepared for this. And Peter could have been like, you know what? Hold on, buddy. God's prompted me to do something. I'm gonna go hit up the ATM real quick. I'll be right back. I'll get you on the flip side when I come out of church, okay? He could have been, but it's not what he did. In Acts chapter one. So they have this interaction and, and, and Peter, he looks at the guy and he's like, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. We sang the song about it. There's power in the name of Jesus. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And scripture says that instantly his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And not only did he get up, but scripture says that he ran and that he, that he would leap or leapt, or I don't know what the past tense for leaped is, but he would leap. It reminded me of Tigger, like if you're a Winnie the Pooh, like he leaped. And then I had a dad moment. He went from lion to tiger. All right, maybe I'm not so good at dad jokes either. All right, so he went from unable to walk to walking and running and leaping and going to church with these guys. Now, everybody was overwhelmed, everybody except the religious leaders. 
they weren't having it because the religious leaders, they were the one who had Jesus arrested. And the religious leaders are the same one that had Jesus crucified. And how bad does it look on them if they had this guy crucified, but now in his name, people who are unable to walk are now walking. Uh, so we gotta do some damage control real quick. So they assembled, they grabbed some guards and they had Peter and John arrested. It's late at night. So they kept them in prison overnight. Then the next day they bring them before the religious council and the council demanded, answer our question by what power were you able to do this and heal this man? Acts chapter four, starting in verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you wanna know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man who you crucified. You know he had to have some sass when he said that, right? The man who you crucified, but whom God raised up from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures, talking to religious leaders, so he knows that they know the scripture. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under the heaven, and under heaven which we must be saved. Verse 13, so the members of the council responded. He says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw how good looking Peter and John were. Oh, you laugh at that, but not my joke. The, the, the members of the councils were amazed when they saw how eloquently Peter and John could speak. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the knowledge that Peter and John possessed. It's not what they said. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. What if that's what we were known by? Nothing else. Boldness to speak the truth with love and grace. I started praying this prayer a few years ago and at first it really terrified me. It still kind of does. When I get up in the morning, God, make me bold today. That's a terrifying prayer because if he answers it, what's that call you to do? If he answers it, what's it require you to do? God, make me bold today. If there was one thing that could be said about Luke, if, there was, if I could write an autobiography and I, I could list the one thing that I hope people recognize about me, it's not how good I deliver a sermon or not. It's not whether you think I'm a good preacher or not. It's not anything that I need recognized because I've accomplished. If there was one thing that I say, I wish people knew about me is that they could recognize he's been with Jesus. I'm not an expert in the scriptures. I'm not a professional, I'm an ordinary guy, but I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. And because of that, I will speak with boldness. And there's been times where the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do so and it made me sick to my stomach for days and weeks after. I don't wanna be a, a Christian, a follower of Christ. I don't wanna be a, a dad, a husband, a pastor. I don't wanna be somebody who's guilty of knowing this is an opportunity to boldly share my faith and then cower down from it. I wanna speak the truth with love and grace and great boldness because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. Number four, we're supposed to be conduits, not consumers. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are conduits, not consumers. This is a piece of a conduit. If you know what a conduit is, then this is a pretty simple lesson for you. A conduit is a structure that electrical wires would run through. Now, if you know electrical wires is what electricity passes through. So power, you could say, runs through the electrical wires. A conduit is simply a structure that's there to protect the power from getting disturbed or from getting severed. 
The reason the Holy Spirit gives us strength, the reason the Holy Spirit gives us power to overflow with great hope, the reason the Holy Spirit makes us bold is not that the power would be consumed by me. I am not supposed to be the superhero in any story. Jesus didn't send his spirit that I can be the hero. Jesus sends his spirit with power that I could be the conduit that the power passes through. Not so that I can go back and and rewrite all my history. Not so that I can go back and right all my wrongs in my life. Not so that I can make my life easier. I'm not to consume it. I'm to be the conduit that it passes through. We read it. It was the first passage we read today. Acts chapter one and verse eight. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. This isn't a new paragraph. This isn't a new thought. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. Why do we receive power from the Holy Spirit? He spells it out. So you can be my witness telling people everywhere about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our job, the reason he gives us power is to be a conduit, to tell people about Jesus, to make them aware of who he is, to present the gospel of Christ here, near, and far. I'm not the end of the power grid I'm a conduit for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through me. I love the way Paul ties it all together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3. He says this, he says, I came to you in weakness. He's talking to his believers in the city of Corinth. He says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching, they're very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? I did this so you wouldn't trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. The greatest compliment for me is I'm just a plain, ordinary preacher. I don't want you to tell me that I did a good job. I want it to be known that it wasn't my wisdom or my insight or my clever speech. I want it to be the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts, that changes our life that prompts us into the will of our Savior. I wanna be a conduit that the power of the Holy Spirit flows through. All throughout this book is story after story of people that God used, ordinary people, who not by their own effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not setting out to make themselves famous, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not so they can make their lives easier, but through the power of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus famous. You and I are connected to that same power. You and I are to be the conduit to make Jesus known. And because of that, he makes me strong when I am weak. And he gives me joy and hope to overflow in every circumstance. And he makes me bold to speak the truth, not for my own gain, but to get me out of my comfort zone to get me out of the safety of my own little bubble, to get me out of my regular routines and stepping into the power and the presence of the God of the universe to share the gospel with great boldness. The gift of the Holy Spirit is one, if not the greatest gift that God could ever give us. Not just so you get the best version of Luke that there could be, but that I'm a conduit for his power to overflow. The Holy Spirit, he doesn't make me better than you. He makes me better for you. And when we live by that, it changes 
Every now and then we end our gatherings with a time of prayer. And I just really feel led this week. In just a moment, we're gonna have some of our pastors and leaders come up to the front of the stage. And I believe there's some of us that have been trying to figure out this life, this faith on our own, under our own understanding without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would invite you before you leave today, if you need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, can I just offer this? The people you'll pray with, they've got no more access to no more power than you do. But scripture is real clear about when two or more gather together, that God does something incredible. James chapter five, James teaches us that the power of the righteous person in prayer produces wonderful results. So, so whatever that part of your life you've been trying to figure it out on your own, let today be the day you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And whatever you're trying to understand or figure out, let today be the day you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you need that encounter that overflows you with hope and joy, then don't leave today without having someone to pray with you and for you. Don't walk out of here dismissed thinking, you know what, I'll figure this out on my own. Church, today is the day that through his Holy Spirit, a great power can be released. God, we thank you for that gift. We thank you that, God, you are faithful to not just leave us to figure this out on our own, but that you provided your Holy Spirit that changes things that we never could. You provided a Holy Spirit that comes with power to forgive and power to move on and power to have hope and power to be set free. God, we don't wanna be a people trying to do this on our own. We wanna be tapped into your power grid. We can live out the life and the call that you have on us to do your will in all things that we do. God, let us be a conduit. In Jesus' name.